One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Tamara Thomas, editor in chief of UrbanHealthToday.com, part of the DocWire family of medical news sites. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Urban Health Weekly. Our goal each week is to keep you informed of the latest in health and medical news right from today's headlines. It's time to empower yourself with open conversations about your medical care with news that matters to you. So are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Tamara Thomas and welcome to Urban Health Weekly where we talk about medical news and health topics that matter to you. So I'm here with Jackie and Lou. How are you guys? Good. How are you guys doing? I'm all right. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. That's good. That's everyone's good. Okay, so let's just jump into it. <laughs> you know, this is, I, Lou's going to read it, but I'm just wondering if this is an urban legend or if this is cautious. Ah, uh, I have my, I have my qualms right. also. Okay. Now, the source of this story, typically we source stories from the NIH or the but CDC. this is just so, like, incredible yeah. that, you know. So this is from a travel site. However, it's a reputable site, and the story is is but referenced and all the... Yeah, so, we'll, we'll have a link to it. We'll have a link to it on our so. site um, going in there. So, so it starts out with uh, an unnamed woman, woman. I'm not going to name her name here. Went to the Dominican Republic to get no, a... her friend went to. Well, her friend. That her makes friend. it even more, like... <laughs> Yeah, her friend went to the Dominican Republic to get a BBL. Uh, for those of you that don't know what a BBL is, it's the Brazilian butt lift. Okay, let's not shame people. Let me give just people a quick, in people in case people don't know what a Brazilian butt lift is, because there are people who don't do plastic surgery. A Brazilian butt lift, um, that's a procedure um, that makes you, um, you know, aesthetically more curvy because what happens is the plastic surgeon does liposuction around your midriff, you know, or your back and your stomach and takes that fat, harvests it and, and, and injects that purified fat back mm. into your backside and your hips to give you more of an hourglass curvy uh, shape. Um, and, and that way you get that um, video vixen shape that's popular in the music videos and such. Okay. So the woman, okay, and and of course, stop us all when you see something that's very, very wrong here. The woman went to a doctor promoted on Instagram, but apparently did not do much research beyond that. Okay, so there you go, everybody. <laughs> do not do your research. Just go to your doctor on Aww. Instagram. Okay, so, so in addition to the BBL, uh, the woman got a tummy tuck and liposuction. Later... The woman experienced body aches and headaches. So she went to her doctor who noticed that her kidney count was low. The doctor asked her if she had any surgeries within the last year. And she said, yes. Later on, a CAT scan revealed that her kidney was missing. All right. That's, that's end of story. Uh... Wouldn't she have an incision by her lower back where they took the kidney though? Well, like how does that work? Laparoscopically, so who yeah. knows? Maybe she has a you know. You could you take a kidney laparoscopic. Yeah, they, they can. Like a whole they, kidney. Yeah, the, the kidney. Probably. Yeah, um, the the kidneys can be removed. I I had uh, I had a friend who donated a kidney, 
and she had her kidney removed. Uh, they removed it through the navel. So it left no scar. So she never really even- Wow, what? Well, she, she never, you wouldn't know that she had it. She knew she had it because she, don she donated it. But if oh you- Oh my no gosh. Scars. So it's entirely possible with all the bruising and everything that, you know, even if they didn't take- Oh it, yeah, oh my gosh. It was on the table while they were nipping and tucking that uh, they could have uh, taken that, that kidney. Um, I don't know. Could she maybe have just been born with just one kidney? I mean, wait, I guess it would have shown all the trauma from the incision. Yeah, I, I think they pretty much. I, yeah. That's an unbelievable. That's actually, I remember an episode of Nip Tuck. Remember that show? Yes. And like this very attractive female doctor, she like, she like has a one night stand with this guy and then he wakes up and he has no kidney on one side. <laughs> Like, they put them in a tub of ice or something like that. Yes. Yeah, that's and been the like, urban legend. The urban that legend. was the urban legend. Yeah, yeah. You wake up in a tub of ice without your kidney. Without yeah. your kidney. Yes. Oh. oh, this is just awful. And she paid for a procedure. Well, and I want to say that this is unbelievable, but you know, that's the thing. You this is this is the kind of risk you run when you go overseas and you're trying to like some things cost a lot of money because they just cost a lot of money. I think she paid something like $3,500. That's not the standard rate. That's a really cheap rate for a tummy yeah. tuck and for like all that. Yeah. She had all that. Yeah. And I guess they figured, well, we'll, we'll give her the discount to lure her in and then we'll make the money back. Selling then the we'll make a million dollars off that kidney. Yeah. Wow. Oh man. You know, that is a horror story. Yeah. You take your chances. I don't know if it, it happened, uh, but you take your chances when you go overseas because they're not regulated like like you know here. I you know I hear about a lot of people like going and get uh, their teeth done in Turkey and stuff like that. I've been overseas and had you know dentistry done, etc. I went to Costa Rica, but they were like kind of well you know these were well regarded surgeons uh -huh. in Costa Rica. They were you know they were board certified. They weren't. Um, they were well known even in the oh. United States. That's the only thing I can say about that. And it was dentistry for the most part. So, I mean, I don't know what to say about that. I, 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 I wouldn't, it wouldn't be my first choice to go. Also, I, I didn't pick anybody off Instagram. <laughs> but, places, right. If you stay in the U.S., you're at least protected. Like if you're in right. you know, New York and you go to Florida, or you're in New York, you right. Texas, you go, you're protected. You go out of the country, you have zero. Yeah, zero. no recourse. And that's that's all I wanted to say about that. If this, in fact, did happen, I don't know if this actually happened. But if this did happen, this is a cautionary tale. Please save your money, wait an extra year and try save, to save your money. Yes. And try, you know, if you must go overseas, go to somebody reputable, go to like the the plastic surgery blogs and such and find out just like you buy something off of Amazon and you read the reviews before you buy it. Right. You don't just blindly buy and say, Oh, that's a great price. Like you read the reviews, like well-reviewed providers. If you're must go overseas, that's all I'm going to say on that matter. Oh, that was. <laughs> all right. So on to the medical news of the week. Um, go ahead. Okay. So the next story we have is uh, from Wired.com. 
And um, yeah, it's titled Big Pharma Says Drug Prices Reflect R&D Course Researchers Call BS. My God. R&D means research and development. Right, R&D. So anyway, um, you know, just to preface this, uh, you know, in the news right now is uh, a lot of legislation about what can and cannot be charged. So this story is uh, a bit relevant uh, in terms of that. Um, The Clinical and Economic Review you know, came up with some statistics that prescription drugs in the United States cost two and a half times more than they do in any other country, Um, that almost every new cancer drug starts at $100,000 a year. And um, the 2022 study also found that the average price for newly released drugs is 20% higher year on year. So none of those things um, is, uh, is encouraging. They also, um, cited the study also cited the fact that, you know, uh, or there's a black box or a mysterious black box, they called it, um, around drug pricing in the United States where pharmaceutical companies do not reveal, uh, the formula for pricing drug. Now, having worked in the pharmaceutical industry, I can shed some light on it. Ah, I want you to do the Block bottom line up front. What's the bottom line up front? What would the, the research find? Well, the research. I'm about to blast. You. All right, go ahead. Tell us what the research. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. Now I'm no, not gonna. I'm say, not. No, you have to. What did the research find? What do you mean? What did the research what find? What did the research? They so they researched it, and what did their study find? That we are being somewhat overcharged. No. What? The, okay, I'm gonna tell you. The researchers found. No correlation between R and D and drug costs, and the reason that I, I, uh, want you I, I, I disagree, I disagree, I disagree. We have many an argument over this with him saying, "Oh, the costs are R and D," and me saying, "I don't think so." But themselves, they said it themselves. Their goal is to ensure the drug has the greatest share of the market for the highest price for the longest period of time. So go ahead, I wanna hear your rebut to this. Uh, all right, well, <laughs> look, at, at the end of the day, if anybody's in, if anybody's there. interested in this, it, it's a September paper in JAMA, uh, published by Oliver, God, me and names, Wooters, from the London School of Economics, um, is there. He did not find, he did 60 drugs, didn't find any correlation between a no drug. No correlation. Yes. Okay. No correlation drug to research. However, the the study did not take into consideration how many drugs just you don't bring to market. No, it's you can't price that in. Of course you can. Well, that's what they're doing. Okay, so that's how they're justifying your prices for one drug. They're saying, well, we've got ten failed drugs, so we have to recoup all the money from the ten failed drugs and this one. Uh, drug that is passing the muster. Okay. Okay. Does Let's, that sound fair to you, Jackie? She <laughs> feels like she's in the middle here. But no, ahead, no, Jackie. there's no Stay mistake to me. There's no mistake to me. This is this is ridiculous. This is uh, you know, they get not justified for those kind of prices. It doesn't make any kind of sense other than profit. Okay. Go ahead, Mr. Big Business. All right. I'm gonna start out with the worst and then work my way from there. Okay. So do you feel, wait, wait, wait. Well, wait, wait what is this, feel, the court of law? No, no, I'm just asking you. 
do you really think that it's right to factor in the price of all their failed drugs into this one drug or is that not the cost of doing business the cost in my opinion the cost of doing business is okay these fail all right but you know we probably get some tax rebate on that anyway let's focus on this this will save lives not well let's get the tax rebates on these losses and let's pack it into the price of this drug that did work that's outrageous. I, I, I don't think, okay, that part is not outrageous. What? Okay. That's and, I, and I'll explain outrageous. it. So if you're trying to develop a drug for breast cancer, let's say, or, or any disease, let's, I'm just using breast cancer, you might have 20 different compounds that you're looking at. I just want to say that each I feel of vindicated these, by the study, but go ahead. Each of these, well, the, the, and I'm going to explain. So you do these 20 trials and they go to stage one, they go to stage two, and each one of these is fizzling out somewhere along the trial. Some, some go to human trials, some fizzle out during animal trials, some don't make it past the Petri dish and some don't make it past the computer AI. But the deeper they go, the more money is being spent. So you may have spent in coming up with a drug, can a, a, a drug for breast cancer, you may spend a billion dollars. Now that particular drug may have because it was number 20 remember they they give these a name or a number so there's number one number two yes. some, it goes up to like 389 whatever mm -hmm. so the promising one might be 327 so 327 is the one that goes all the way all the other ones fall to the side the trial for 327 is not that expensive it really is not that expensive when you look at how much money the company is going to make all the other costs have to be factored in into the price of that drug. It's it just is common sense. That's how discovery works. That doesn't sound like common sense. However, I was going to give you ammunition against Pfizer. Do you want to hear it? I'm listening. Pfizer's okay. profit margin last year was 28.92%. I looked it up on the internet. Okay. 28.92%. So what does that mean? Meaning that they, they are making money. Oh, yes. the, the drug companies are making money. So at the end of the day, they are making money now. And also, haven't we established that they do benefit from all kinds of research that takes place on universities that they, I mean, Thank you. we've well, established that's into the, in there too, yeah, right? But, that but they don't always front research. all the costs. And, and a lot, and remember when we did that whole thing where the, it turned out that the government was putting the, the government funded a lot of these, and then they were benefiting from the research that the government had funded. Nearly as much on these drugs as they like to have well, the, the right. government funding, the government funding a only is in areas that the government would like you to to research it. It's still monies that come in, okay? So, so I'm going back to the it argument that you in. just made. You said that the price that they, the outrageous price that they make for the drug that does get mm -hmm. um, to market is based on all their losses from all right. the other- All drugs. their right. losses, but they actually benefit also from university research and all the right. kind of donations that have come in, yeah. governmental, et cetera, yeah. indirectly too. And that's not getting factored okay, but, into that cost. You know, people look at a drug company like and oh, think- We're just gonna have this argument. No, no, because there's, well, there's the mis- They're still a company first, so they're looking to make a profit. Here in terms of what the drug company is. 
the drug company doesn't have a bunch of science, doesn't really have a, a whole plethora of scientists all working there doing research or any of that. The drug company for the most part is funding research in universities, in private centers, et cetera, et cetera, all around. So all of this research is happening in 20 different places at the same time. So all I'm saying is they're not paying for all of it. Well, there's various people paying for it. The government does pay for a little of it. And we're talking very little of it. As a percentage, the government pays for very little. Now, remember, the NIH and the CDC and all that, they don't have, they don't cure anything. They, they rely on, and we saw that during COVID, they rely on pharmaceutical companies to come out and, and do all of this. Now, if you remember, during all of this, there was all these places, companies that had these drugs and all that. Even J&J, even the J&J drug has kind of gone by the wayside. It's only Pfizer and Moderna now that have a viable. Damn, they didn't make cream off the top of the Yeah, market. okay, Pfizer. That's why I picked right. Pfizer. I was the one that didn't That's make why it. they had the profit. Oh, yeah. But, you know, what happened to J&J's investment? What happened to AstraZeneca's investment? That didn't... J&J's investment, they made the money, and now their drug is faltering. And it's like, okay, well, we came to do what we came to do. We got How about AZ? You know, AZ barely worked. Uh, and there was a whole lot of other ones that, okay. that were there that never really got to market. Now, the drug company itself, Pfizer, what they do and their expertise is not in creating drugs. Even though they'll create a drug under their name, their expertise is in selling. This is a marketing company. There's a company that sells drugs to the doctors that moves, that manufactures the drug after it's discovered. That's what, that's what they do. They, do. they really don't have people on staff that, discover, that do drug discovery. What they do is they buy up with their profits all these little bi all these little uh, biotech companies. Give like them the BioNTech. yeah, all these itty bitty companies get bought up, and every day you see one. One got bought up, Ambio something got bought up by J and J yesterday. Mm -hmm. What they do is all these little um, biotech companies, they're just getting loans. They they don't sell anything. They these are companies that every year they borrow a billion dollars and a billion dollars and a billion dollars. They have a bunch of scientists there discovering all these drugs, doing all these, doing all the clinical trials, et cetera, et cetera. Once they get a, a really good portfolio of drugs, they get bought up by a big drug company. They get swallowed so up. Is that their entire goal is to yes. get bought up? Okay. Yeah. So then basically these big companies, they bring everything to market. Is that right. what you're saying? Okay. Right. And that's what they use their profits for. So, you know, it's like a big, you know, it's like a big fish. You ever see that thing where this little fish eats another little yes. fish and then yes. another bigger fish comes? At the end of that food chain is like Pfizer and all Merck and all those. They, they're the big, big fish that come and eat somebody that's already eaten somebody that's already eaten somebody that's already eaten somebody. So when we, when we look at it, yeah. Are we being overcharged? But what they're throwing in is they're throwing in, okay, in order to keep this company going for the next five or 10 years, we're going to have to buy 20 companies. And guess what? Out of these 20 companies that they buy and all the debt that they assume from these 20 companies, because believe me, these biotech companies have billions of dollars of debt. Once they assume all this debt, they got to go and then bring these drugs to market and, and hope these, these drugs work. So that's why you get this type of stuff. And, you know, when, when you're bashing the U.S., okay. No one's bashing the, the U.S. 
Oh, the article does. No. The article does. No, the article's not bashing you. All the researchers say are saying two and a half times more. Okay, I think that's a bash. But no, that's not a bash. That's fact. If you're coming it's into my not, store and telling me my pizza costs two and a half more times than the guy next that's door. A fact. That's just a fact. That's okay. just that we're just letting you know we see what I'm the facts are. Better ingredients. Research does not discriminate. Research is what it is. It's yeah. data. And yeah. all they're saying is the bad the data does not yeah. bear out yeah. what they're saying. Nin- so look, ninety they're saying yeah. that and they're also saying that they would be able to have, you know, bigger data sets and you know and more information if a lot of the stuff wasn't so buried. Yeah. And so that's why the study was such yeah. a small study. But look, where there's smoke, there's fire. Look. And I feel vindicated. Are our people being overcharged? <laughs> Absolutely. There it is. But I feel that the United States is being overcharged. I think that's a wonderful place for us to move on to the next <laughs> You know I'm not going to be convinced. You had me at absolutely. <laughs> oh, please. You know what? You know what, everybody here? This is this is what I'm going to do. These are my notes. All right? I'm ripping up my notes. That's it. With that, with that, you know what? Let's take a break. We'll come back. All right. And we're back. And we are going to move on to the next topic. Take it away. Okay. Uh, This article can be found on abcnews.com. And uh, it's titled, Some Trans Men Call for Inclusion Amid Abortion Fight. Quote, unquote, we exist. So... Basically, in the aftermath of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe versus Wade, the language around who's affected by abortion rights has largely been focused on one group, which is cisgender women. Um, But now, you know, there's a lot of the non-binary transgender men living in New York City uh, that want uh, to be... Not just New York City. Well, in New York City, the article talks about the the people in New York City. So... Okay. Yeah, well, okay. starts off in New York City. However, they say that the real problem, if I go through the article itself, the real problems in the South, yes. uh, where mm. where things are a lot more exclusionary, and uh, there is a call and, and a call, there's an abortion ban, an abortion ban, and a call for understanding as to what the definitions are. Can a cisgender person become pregnant? Uh, Absolutely. Not cisgender, can a transgender. Right, transgender person become um, pregnant, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a tremendous amount of confusion there uh, in terms of of what is going on. And in in that confusion, a lot of people are being left out without their their care, the proper care that they need. All right, so look, according to UCLA Williams Institute, there are nearly 2 million adults and teenagers living in the U.S. that identify as transgender. A lot of those who identify as transgender reside in the South, where abortion bans are most prevalent. And so with that, I'm just going to, well, I don't know, do you guys want to comment? Maybe I should like. Well, we should just remember that our fellow, our well, the thing fellow is that people. The number of trans men and teens get sexually assaulted in the U.S. Mm. Assaulted. And many of them still have uteruses, okay? And they are often victims of unwanted pregnancies. But nobody thinks about that because of their outward appearance. And the thing is, is that a lot of these states, they don't make an exception for assault. And so if I've been assaulted, I don't want to carry, you know, my assaulter's um, fetus to, to term. 
I should be able, so it's actually, it's like a twofold problem. You have the problem of, okay, I'm already other and uh, your providers are not necessarily treating me with respect. Let's not even talk about compassion and treating me with the respect that I'm due as a person. But then you have the added layer of trying to get care for, uh, you know, assault or some other unintended, um, something that now you require an abortion and you can't get that. So imagine, think about how vulnerable you feel when you're in the doctor's office lying on the table with that little so vulnerable now imagine you're trans or you're non-binary not knowing that you know what's going to happen hoping you're going to be treated with respect i can't i I can't imagine getting medical care you know and and being stigmatized like that Hmm. well a lot of it starts believe it or not with insurance and with forms because most forms ask you, are you male or are you female? There's There's still a lot of binary forms out there. Yeah. They're they're getting that. In fact, I just read that New York state has come up on the driver's license where you can be an M an F or an X. And I think that's all very wonderful, Yeah. but there's the reality of when you walk into that and that's, that's an institution. So that's, so that's, that's number one. It's a start. Yeah. It's a start. Yes. But it's a little different from dealing with a provider or okay. providers that have to take care of your right. person. But when a, when a form is filled out, when a form is filled out, it's always very important to put in, they say you M or you F, a lot of people fill them out for what gender they identify with. You know, so if you're now living as a man, they may check a man where inside they may, they may have the reproductive organs of a woman. But do you understand the point that I, I get yeah. that? But you, do you understand the point that I'm making is that yeah. just imagine you lay down on the table and your parts don't match the form. Mm-hmm. Now you've got to deal with this provider. You don't know what they're. Really yeah. Doing. And you're just hoping the provider isn't somebody who's rolling their eyes That's or, you know, you just. Yeah, you You don't want you don't want the nurse or, you know, the assistant smirking. I mean, you just don't want that. You just want to go in and be taken care of. There's an institution and then there's the the personal level of this. And Mm -hmm. I really think, you know, I say this all the time and I'm going to keep coming back to it. The answer is we need to have diverse healthcare professionals. This country needs to do more to incentivize schools and colleges to bring in diverse not just black, not just Latino. They need to bring in the LGBTQ providers. They need to bring in all different mm-hmm. kinds of um, you know, of providers to meet the needs of an ever-changing population. People need to feel like they matter and they belong and that they deserve respect. And if you are looking at a system where everyone doesn't look like you because it's you know it's a bunch of you know cisgendered. Um, individuals, it's going to be very difficult to break through that barrier and get the respect and compassion you deserve. And I have to say, this is why places like Planned Parenthood are so important. Yes. Parenthood, they roll with it and they make you feel, this is not an endorsement to them. This is just, I'm just talking my experience with them. They are up to date. Exactly. 
That's the only time in my life that I, when I was young coming up, that I never felt, I felt safe and exactly. reassured at Planned Parenthood as a kid. Explain yes. things to me. They didn't judge me. They didn't I didn't feel judged at Planned Parenthood. They do so that's much true. more than just abortion care. And that, Correct. that is getting lost in this whole fight and conversation. We need to stop that because people need and deserve compassionate and culturally relevant care or culturally congruent care. I know we're still a long ways off from that, but this is what I'd like to see. I really think this is what would run. You could give people all the, the lectures and the sensitivity, cultural sensitivity training you want, but at the end of the day, when you're in the room with that person, they don't even know how they're going to react. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. We've got to, we've got to account for marginalized people who need care and deserve to, you know, respect, even if they don't get compassion, but at least respect. So, so anyway, that that's I'm getting off my soapbox. You guys, well, I'll, I'll go on my soapbox, yeah, and I, I think that when you talk about training the providers and the people in the room, I, I think for the most part, they they are they are on the front line. They they've seen it all, dealt with it all, and for the most part, I'm going to say that by my experience they know what they're doing where you do have a lot of problems is with that back end the back end is the forms the insurance that whole administrative process that whole administrative process that deals with getting paid the whole administrative process that deals with filling out forms these forms have not been updated in the last 50 years you're still dealing with the same insurance forms with the same insurance rules with people that don't want to do things, uh, do things a little differently, that people that have pr profit incentives and, and a lot of other things going on at the same time that don't understand what the issues are. Um, you know, they're just trying to obfuscate the issue and say, look, this is, you know, transgender people are only 0.3% of the population. Why do we even have to have a special plan for them. And if you look at the- You don't have to have a special plan for them, but you should, you should cover certain things based on their physiognomy. Right. But my feeling is that a lot of times the wrong boxes get checked on insurance forms. The wrong, you know, just things- If they don't know how to code things properly. Right. So if I show up and, I'm a, and my insurance company has me designated as an M, and I go in for an OBG procedure, guess what? It's going to oh, be- Oh, yeah. And then it's a nightmare for you. Yeah, then I go into the nightmare. But then that's when pre-authorization is important too. But that's what we, we get- No, we get but this, it. I think this is what no, this story is about. I think it's I think hand that's in what hand. Is about. Not, okay, but I think that's also part of the discussion. And I think that's an important part. But what I'm talking about, that's that. those are not the parts that the patient sees. Because I get that. Like, they don't see it, but they experience it. They experience it because he's saying that that primes the healthcare provider. Yeah, it, it, it goes all the way up. The healthcare provider is going to say, I'm not going to get paid for this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Right. It's going yeah, to or... affect their mood coming into the room. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. They're not going to want to touch this. Uh, in terms of that, they, they're going to say, why, why am I even here? Um, and, and it is important that, that I'm not saying that it's not important. Of course, it's important. I'm talking about a counter line. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not discounting what you're saying. I, what you're saying mm -hmm. is, is right that and that's the other part of it. I'm talking about the front end part of it, where yeah. I walk in to this provider, and I have, I have to hope that right. I get treated with respect. That's what I'm talking about. The fact that we haven't, mm -hmm. you know, we, you know, this whole conversation, every time we look at signs, women holding signs and stuff like that, we don't see transgendered men uh, who are also probably holding signs and stuff like that. All the focus is on cisgendered women. Mm -hmm. And I'm just saying that that needs to change. Yeah. So I agree that, you know, they should be included in the abortion fight because they're also affected. Okay. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say no, I, I, I'm all for the people that, that have the problems to get relief. I'm just saying that when we look at that pyramid, you know, out of every dollar spent, 5% is drugs, 15 to 20% goes to the HCP. The other 75% goes to administration, insurance companies, the rent that they pay, all that kind of crap. So, you know, let's, let's look at where the problem is. To me. And, it, and it's not top down, it's bottom up. Both. Hmm. I think it's a multi-headed hydra that needs to be tamed and dealt with. But I think some of the ways we can deal with it is, and I know it's a long ways off, but I think you know if we start looking at diverse hiring, um, that that goes a long way, and and you know screening people for cultural sensitivity, not just credentials, but cultural sensitivity as well. That's all. That's all. I'm just you know. Speaking of prejudice, mm -hmm. let's jump into the next article. Uh -huh. Stigma, health discrimination common for Hispanic adults with HIV. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Reports of stigma and healthcare discrimination run high amongst Hispanics with HIV, according to an analysis of self-reported data in the United States between 2018 and 2022. Of the um, Okay, so then the article goes on to talk about uh, the average age, uh, median scores, uh, where they are and all that. Um, it, but then it says that nearly 23% of Hispanics um, with HIV also reported receiving healthcare discrimination in the previous 12 see, months. You see what I'm talking about? Healthcare discrimination. Don't act yep. like it's not a thing. Right. Uh, versus women. And and African African American Hispanics actually were up to twenty eight percent in terms of where they felt and and this is 
the stigma of discrimination, this is self-reported discrimination. So it's very important to say that, you know, whether discrimination happens or not, if people feel discriminated against, they're, they're going to be more reluctant to show up and get their health care. So that's, yeah, that's very alarming. Yeah, there's a thread going in, and that's yeah. going to... Um, that's gonna where that blow it uh, down yeah yep and also um you know they they also uh there's also a real stigma in reporting hiv status which is kind of important if you're going to be out there dating or you have loved ones around you and all mm -hmm. that because it still is a communicable disease and that stigma is between 48 percent to 78 percent my goodness have have stigma in doing that what, what um, kind of stigma? Stigma among their about telling telling people that oh, okay. they they are HIV positive, okay. so they won't tell employers, they won't tell people around them, or not that you have to. Yeah. Uh, that uh, so some of the types of discriminations uh, that that they felt they were getting sixty two percent felt that a doctor or nurse did not was not listening to what they were saying, forty eight percent felt that they were treated, being treated with less respect than others. 48% perceived that they were treat, being treated with less courtesy than others. 30% uh, attributed this to the HIV infection. 23% attributed to their sexual orientation and 20% to, to the race of minority. So to what race they had. So at the end of the day, wow. Felt that we were past all of this. Yeah, I thought we really so had come a long way. Yeah, with so much information mm -hmm. now, you know, I thought that the age of stigma among healthcare professionals was like a thing of the past. I didn't know that this was like still going on. Well, I, I guess I'll uh, I'll eat my words. I just said that the healthcare professionals are usually more informed. But again, let's take it how this is this is being done, how this study is being done. This is how the patient feels. Yeah. This, this does not mean that this is actually going on, but that person is being made to feel that way, which to me, if that person feels that way, they, there has to be some sort of uh, sensitivity training there uh, that says, hey, if people feel that way, you've got to do something for them not but to feel that's, that way. This, but this goes back to the point that I was just making before about you can give people all the training that you want. At the end of the day, people come to what they do with their own built-in prejudices. And it doesn't matter how much you train somebody and you say, this is wrong, you should do this or that. People come with their own biases to any situation. And that's the problem. If you have people that have more perspective or come from different environments and are exposed to these, these things more, you get less of that stigma because they've been there they've done that they understand and they can help you know these these uh people through the fire that's why they did like the gay men's health crisis oh yeah they made they big advancements mm -hmm. yeah because the, it's right in the name gay men's health crisis right mm -hmm. they were able to speak to this the, their suffering brethren and help them through this very difficult disease unfortunately it's left a lot of people of color behind well, unfortunately, also, I think when, when we're dealing with HIV, um, not only do you have to deal with the HIV, but there's also you're either 
in many instances. And remember, this study was done with Hispanics. Mm -hmm. So already they're a minority or, you know, they I may have wish language. wish we had someone from the LGBTQ community to like sit and talk with us about this. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So they already, you know, they, they already have like a second. Okay, so call it a strike against the, you got HIV. You're also a minority, two strikes. You know, economically, you're, you're, statistically, you're in the bottom rung or mm -hmm. that. Uh, you may have a language, you may have a language problem. Mm -hmm. Then if you throw in a third uh, thing uh, where there's a, a very large majority uh, or a very large portion of people with HIV are also LGBTQ, mm -hmm. they also have that. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, you're, you're going in there and saying, okay, not only am I Latino, not only am I LGBTQ, but I also got HIV. This is, this is pretty bad. So you're, you're not going to walk in there all that comfortable. Yeah. And, and you're sick to begin with, you know, you, you've got a, you've got you an illness. Yeah. yeah. You've got an illness that's life-threatening. Yeah. So how many things are going to be on your mind and whether you're treated one way or the other, I, I think what this is highlighting is that, you know, providers have to be extra, extra careful. Yeah. That's what they're saying. They're saying trauma informed approaches to HIV care, which just sounds really like take a more compassionate like really coming from a very compassionate point yeah. of view yeah yeah and i don't know and perspective like what tammy was saying that's the thing like i really strongly believe if we had more diversity in the medical field that a lot of this stuff would not be it would give you a different perspective so you could see from exactly. somebody else's perspective exactly it's very hard to see from someone's perspective if you are uh, a cisgendered Ivy League graduate. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. You're just doing this, this rotation. Maybe you're a resident and you're doing this rotation, but you don't plan to you might very You might very well have great intentions, but the patient sort of needs to see themselves a little bit in, in their medical providers, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it helps tremendously. Yeah. And that's why uh, there needs to be a lot more of these diversity, like you said. Yeah. Okay. All right. My well, with, with that, let's, uh, <laughs> take our, let's take our oh. break. All right. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. And we're back and we're going to jump into the next article, Lou. So um, a few months ago, people were uh, criticizing Terry Bradshaw yet again. So who's uh, Terry Bradshaw? Okay. Terry Bradshaw is a commentator on Fox uh, for football. Uh, he can be found every, uh, every Sunday between 12 and oh, one. Okay. All right. He's a former NFL um, football player. Okay. Player. So to go back through his career, I'm going to start off with his career. I'll, I'll, I'll make it very brief. Okay. <laughs> Terry Bradshaw was a, a person who played the quarterback position, Ooh. but he was not your typical quarterback. He was what we would call a brute. He was a, a weightlifter, a very brawny, player or a player who you would think would play some other position but not quarterbacks who are usually like very verbose very athletic they run around terry bradshaw was a beast um <laughs> terry bradshaw was criticized for not being intelligent enough to uh because of his looks for not being intelligent enough to play the position after that uh terry bradshaw was then criticized uh, profusely for having won the super bowl by something 
or got to the Super Bowl by one of the most famous plays in NFL history, which was then named the Immaculate Reception, where he threw the ball at somebody, hit them over the head, the ball hit them over the head in the helmet, bounced to somebody else, they got the ball. Anyway, <laughs> he won the game completely by accident. So oh, it was like a Hail Mary. Wow. <laughs> he became an announcer after his career ended. He became an announcer and was was roundly criticized for being too dumb to understand the game, blah, 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 but had his followers. So anyway, this year. Because Terry, the quarterback uh, position is usually thinking man's position. Yeah, and he's just not that. He's an entertaining dude, though. There's no doubt about it. He's kind of bubbly and and and, and fun loving and, and super social. And yeah. at times he said, you know, he said, I'm not gonna say controversial stuff where bad controversial stuff, but he's called people out for being lazy or or not trying, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway. Uh, it was noticed in November that he was flubbing lines, that he was out of breath. Sorry, November? Uh, uh, yeah, November, last November. Yeah, last year, November. Oh, last November, okay. Yeah, last November. Yeah, towards the end of last year's football season, uh, it was, he was, he looked like he wasn't really on his A game. Not, not that he ever was on his A game. Oh my um, gosh, okay. But people, people were saying a lot of stuff about Terry. Maybe it's time he retire uh, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Why is he there? And, I, and, and you also have to realize that he's sitting next to like Michael Strahan and Howie Long. I was going to say, I never really noticed and, because I'm always looking at Howie Long and Michael Strahan. So I didn't uh, notice him <laughs> at all. I, 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 I mean, look, if I'm sitting between Brad Pitt and some other matinee idol, you're going to say, who's that guy? Yeah, you they're know? like the matinee <laughs> idols of, well, you know, aging, but matinee idols of the NFL. Yeah, you, you got all these really good looking people. And then there's, there's Terry Bradshaw. So anyway... Um, there was all that. Now it's come out that Terry Bradshaw actually had bladder cancer and hadn't told his wow. employers, hadn't told the media, God forbid that you not announce it to the media, um, and hadn't even told his family. Um, and now poor Terry, to me, he's being criticized that how could you not tell us? But that not only did he, he have a bladder cancer, which I think he's now cured from, but he mm -hmm. also had, had, has, had Merkel cell skin cancer mm -hmm. um, on top of that. So he had the double whammy of cancer and then cancer while trying to maintain his schedule. And then people felt as if, how dare you not tell him? Now I can understand his family feeling that way. He doesn't owe anything to the public to share. Yeah, I agree with you on that. About that. Mm -hmm. And it was brave of him to, you know, come forward and talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad that he's here, that he can talk about it in the past tense. But, you know, this whole righteous indignation that people felt they had the right to know his business. No, you didn't. Yeah. You're not entitled to that information. Yeah. I, you know, if I was diagnosed with cancer, I'm not even sure if I tell my family I had it. Really? What are they going to do? You know, worried that you would just well, worry them for his family. I think at least you know his. I think at least his family should have known so they could rally around him and be a support that he needed. I'm sure there were times when he was not feeling really well. It would have been nice to have been able to rely on his his girls and you know to rally around him and uh, make him a sandwich, something. I don't know. Right, give them the opportunity to be able to do something. Yeah, you know, give here your slippers, dad. Something. I don't know.
you know, do you, you want to watch something? Uh, what, you know, uh, can I sit with you and watch something? Just mm -hmm. that idea of someone being there, even if they don't actually do anything for you, but it just makes you feel better. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that he should have told his family, but that's how men are, unfortunately. <laughs> and it's true. That's how men are. True. Yeah, I guess. Anyway. <laughs> What say you, Lou? What say you? I, I, man. I'm glad that he handled it the way he did. Uh, you think he had? He, you think he shouldn't have told his family? You think he was right? Not to I, I think I think he he was right in do, in doing it the way he felt more, the most comfortable doing it, and didn't say, "Well, now that I have it, I got to tell everybody." But how did he get away? Like, how did he get away? How did he? So he went a year without. Yeah. He went a year. He kept this to himself. He got treatment and everything, and never said a word until he until he told him he was cancer free. Wow, wow, that's mental. That's mental toughness. I don't know that I could sit on that by myself and carry that burden by mm -hmm. myself for an entire year. What do you think? Is that yeah? I don't think I could either. Also, I don't know what purpose it achieves, but I mean, apparently he believes it. I mean. It meant something to him, obviously. I think he said something about not wanting to the the pity party, like he didn't want people to feel sorry for him because. Okay. And then also, people are mean. You know, mm -hmm. it's like if you as a celebrity say something, then people start coming out of the woodwork, like, "Oh, well, you're rich, deal with it." Um, I remember somebody had said mentioned something about gas prices, and immediately because he was driving like a nice vehicle, immediately people all over social media launched on him. Oh, how dare you talk about gas prices, you rich person. You don't have to worry as if as if people with money don't you know, don't have money concerns about the price of gas going up like everybody else. So they do jump all over you and they do, you know, kind of shame you for for having money. Yeah, I could see why he didn't come out with yeah. it publicly. Like, oh, just... yeah, you had cancer. Well, you've got the money to fight cancer. My husband died of cancer. I don't yeah. want to hear you. They get really mean when you have means nobody wants to hear it so i guess i understand oh but anyway. i still think he should have told his family <laughs> yeah i kind of go with you on that one too i mean your family okay family. two to one uh, <laughs> I'll again. so you think that he was justified in not telling his uh, family? i think i think that's a pretty big secret to hide from your loved ones i, I don't even think it's Emphasis a secret on love. i think you know yes it was a secret he was getting he was saying he was on the road traveling for work and getting cancer treatment what yeah okay and suffering in silence okay he in left out a pretty big portion of his day to his wife you know you're in the bathroom a little long there terry is everything okay oh yeah everything's just fine Go normal nothing's family. different same yeah, thing exactly. as ever exactly i mean he could have died and then no one would have been any the wiser yeah and then you would have been like what let me tell you, my my girlfriend found out that her husband had um, gastrointestinal cancer when he passed out. He never told her. And he and knew. He knew. And he never told her. And it's not until he passed out and she had to take him racing the ambulance to the hospital that she found out. He would have taken it to his grave. Wow. That's not nice. But... You know, look, he's alive, he's well, he's cancer-free, thank goodness. I just, you know, men, please tell your families when you're sick. They just want to help you, okay? 
So that's what Lou was saying. Maybe he wanted to be cured first. And if he believed that the cure and yeah, but he didn't include telling his family. All right. All right. Told his family. Just... Yeah, to me, that's the biggest story. The fact that, yeah. you know, he just but he doesn't owe the world any information though. He doesn't. Yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. yeah the but world, that's because yeah. they were hunting for his head. Like, Oh, he's slow. Get him out of here. He can't do his job anymore. It's just no satisfying this beast called Twitter and social media. It's like, gosh, you know, they just want to eat you alive. They're so ferocious. They really are. It's terrible. Anyway, moving on. All right. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but um, moving on let's, to this week's let's topic. yeah, let's go to hair straightening chemicals associated with higher uterine cancer risk. The creamy crack. That's Green right. Crack. NIH yeah. study finds black women may be more affected due to higher use. Ooh, okay. Women who use chemical hair straightening products were at higher risk for uterine cancer compared to women who did not report using these products. According to a new study from the NIH, researchers found no associations with uterine cancer or other hair products that the w w women reported using included hair dyes, bleach, highlights, or perms. So for those who don't know what a relaxer is, what I call the creamy crack, um, hair relaxer is a chemical that is used to permanently straighten curly hair. And it revolutionized hair care for women of color because the pressing weekly, the weekly pressing comb was, you know, used to be back in the day before relaxers, you, if you wanted to straighten your hair, you had to go to the beauty parlor and they had this little oven with this iron comb and they would part your hair and they would run it through your hair you know put some grease in your hair and then run it through your hair because you know you, you can't cook without grease right right so, mm -hmm. um to straighten the hair but eventually and that's a, that was a, like a mechanical process and eventually that would revert and you'd have to go back and do it every week or every two weeks or something like that and sometimes you might get you know burned on the tip of your ear or burned oh. on your forehead or something like that um but that was the rite of passage that women went through if they wanted straight hair back then. Then it became a permanent solution. So you did it and then you didn't have to think about it for, I don't know, how until your roots grew in and those curls and then you wanted to deal with those curls and those curls were long enough for you to put some more relaxers. So you could end up relaxing your hair. I don't know, depending on how quickly your hair grows, you know, three or four or five or six times a year. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's also how much you can tolerate, right? So if right. your hair is curly at the roots, yeah. how long can you tolerate having your right. hair curly because at the, the roots? Thing is, okay. Relaxed hair is much easier to style and yeah. maintain than curly hair because you can just run your comb through it. And, and, you know, truth be told, you know, let's talk about the fact that it's more culturally accepted as being professional. Like when you have straight hair, your hair is more accepted by the mainstream as professional looking um, and aesthetic, although the Crown Act laws are you know, changing that, but that's still in the works. Um, anyway, that's why it's called a creamy crack because it's a, it comes in a jar. You have to you know, activate it with some chemicals and then you stir it up and it makes this creamy solution that they then apply to your hair. And the crack part comes from how addictive it is because you get it. Now you got to do it every month. <laughs> you got it. Well, every six weeks or it takes a while for the hair to grow long enough for the put um, to apply more to what they call a touch up where they just apply it to your roots. But I know women who apply it to their edges so that the edges stay straight 
And that's much more frequently than just going in and oh wow roots within the hair. Yeah. So I think did this article say they were looking at maybe doing it as much as four times a year as being double the risk or quadruple the risk of uterine cancer? Is that what they said? I well, don't know. there they, was a number of times. Well, there's a whole bunch of data if here. If somebody's doing it here only four times a year, that's actually pretty low. I'm yeah. you know so so here's here's some of the numbers. For people who never used a hair straightener, your lifetime chance of developing uterine cancer is 1.64%. Okay, that's never used. You never used it. Okay. If you categorize yourself as a heavy user. And how many times a year is that? They don't go into that. I they thought they it. said four times a year. Yeah. Is later a heavy on, user? Later on, anybody user. over four, but the study itself. It's a little vague because the study itself was say was a self-identifying study mm. because they didn't follow. Which these means people. that they're probably not admitting how many times they really go. Yeah. Wow. Most women, let me tell you. Yeah. Most women go to the salon four times a year is not a lot. Most women go to the salon. Maybe people have cut back. You know, um, you know, now that people are finding out how harmful it is to the hair. Yeah, it's just so much chemicals. Yeah. yeah. Not, that's just how, how harmful. That's just it is. how it is on your hair, right. right? Not knowing any cancer risk at all, which just in terms of breakage alone for right, your hair, right? Exactly the damage to the actual hair. You, you know, many people have cut back mm. on how frequently they do it and right. allow, they allow the roots to grow out longer mm. before they go back in between. What's called stretching. Yeah. Um. But I used to know women who did their hair and, and teenagers and some little girls every six weeks. Oh my gosh. And they, some kids started so young too. Yes. That's a lot of time yes. of so that exposure. Over a lifetime of doing that. How many, if you do it every six weeks, how many times is that a year? Um, that's about, uh, about eight. Okay. So that's eight times a year. Wow. Sometimes we'd be stretching, meaning like, you know, you really want to do it. It needs to get done, but you're letting it grow longer so that you have less exposure. Because what happens too is you have something called overlapping, where if the hair, if the hair that grows in is not long enough, um, what happens is you end up over relax, over relaxing the hair. That's oh, that relaxed. edge part. That's that, the, the, the right. overlapping area. Oh, you could right. break it right off, right? Right, exactly. So um, you have people who stretch it out, but that, that would be from my experience, anecdotally, how many times a year people were really doing it, you know, six, you know, wow. times a year. Did they give those numbers? Well, no, the, the two numbers are for people who never use it, 1.64% of those women do get uterine cancer mm -hmm. for people that call themselves frequent users, whatever that means, because mm -hmm. it's self-identifying, is 4.05. Oh so they, it more than doubles. And the more you use it, the, the higher your rate. They, they said it, there's a doubling rate there. Okay, now wow. I'm going to ask you about this. This is, this is Just do this formula. This is a, a thought exercise. Chemical relaxers plus alcohol use plus oh. smoking plus overweight obesity. What does that equal? Oh, that's a lot of factors. That is ex exactly very high cancer risk. And we're leaving out, we're leaving out like hair dye and 
well, they're, they're, saying, they're really saying just the straightening thing because i had straightening done once they have, they have um but they they already had studies from from a few years ago where they determined that hair relaxer i was already um you know increased your risk of breast cancer it's already an endocrine disruptor so exactly. that's just that was what that was the relaxer okay yeah okay the same relaxer now they're saying that okay it's discovering that hey guess what it also uh, raises your risk for uterine cancer yeah and they they're all you know the article also touches uh, a little bit on some of the other products that are used by uh, mostly people with curly hair i guess you're going to say african-american women some hispanics did they, about, did they talk about keratin they, i think they talked about formaldehyde and, uh -huh. and some other things that are used uh -huh. in these things and and what does that exposure do to you uh, -huh. uh in terms of in terms of long-term use mm -hmm. uh, Except, and that's more widely used because a lot of people do the keratin. Yeah, a lot of people do like the Japanese hair straightening. Yeah. Like I had, I've had that done before. I didn't do the keratin, I don't think. Yeah. But I had my hair straightened and and like bleached within like a month of each other. And I remember the lady had me sign a waiver mm -hmm. if my hair fell out. Oh <laughs> my God, like, seriously. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'll just put a wig on. No worries. So yeah, now I don't do any treat. I don't do any coloring or I stopped that. I was like, this was so much chemicals just from those two. I couldn't believe the fumes. And I was like, oh my God, I can't, I'm never going to do this to myself again. It made my hair straight though. Oof, it was really straight. And silky and shiny, right? Yeah, I, right. I do it with the flat iron. So they mm. just, you know, flat iron it and make it straight. But in any event, I gave up the creamy crack years ago. Yeah. And I remember a hairdresser saying it's less damaging to your hair mm. to do a flat iron and yeah. blow it dry every yeah. single day than getting, than ever getting like well, a chemical straightener. If you're a black woman and you did that every single day, you'd be bald, but okay. So it would still be, it would still <laughs> I be. I gave up hair in general 20 years I ago. <laughs> Yeah, I think they're talking about non-black women with, you know. Maybe, maybe, yeah. She said, listen, don't get that. Don't ever do that uh, hair straightening on yourself again. Your your hair is going to snap right off. Oh, yeah. Well, I read about this woman who's suing. I, I forget which company she's suing. Um, oh, she's is it L'Oreal? She's suing L'Oreal. Saying that it caused her breast cancer. Oh, no, I was thinking about the uterine cancer. Okay, this is a different case. No, this okay. is a woman who's, who's basically making the argument that years of relaxing her hair with this product, she now has breast cancer, and she's saying this was a direct result. Kind of like the Monsanto when the, the yeah. color, and, you know, they, they we're going to see how this bears out in the years to come. You know, mm -hmm. they're probably going to end up having lots of lawsuits because of all of this. And, you know, young people... People under the age of 50, there's like an epidemic of cancer among younger people. So, you know, we're going to see what starts happening. But, you know, if you look at all these risk factors that women of color are facing, mm, 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 that's all I have to say. Yeah. You got to give something up. Anyway, jeez, that's all the time we have today. And you have to remember that you only have one life and one body. So you got to do your best to make it count for your years are full of life and full of health. Information equals transformation. So take small steps each day, including giving up that creamy crack. And <laughs> difference. I'm sure of it. Alrighty. All right. All right. I love you guys as always. Love you guys. See you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Urban Health Weekly today. I hope you'll join me and my friends next week so you can stay informed and inspired to take control of your health. See you next time.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 